Hello, and welcome to NSTA, The Bus Stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I'm Kurt Mackison, Executive Director of NSTA. Here with me is Steve Kelly. He's Chief Commercial Officer, and that's with a new NSTA vendor partner member in charge. So, Steve, welcome to NSTA, The Bus Stop. Thanks, Kurt. We're excited to be here, and thanks for asking us to join. Oh, uh, listen, our pleasure. You know, you put on a great presentation at our fall conference in Key Largo. But before we get started, you know, one of my favorite parts of doing the bus stop is to talk about people and their journey, in our case, into student transportation. Obviously, you work in the, you know, uh, electric vehicle space. But I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to learn a little bit about your background. No, definitely. As for my background, I, I say I'm a recovering engineer. So I've definitely got the technical side, but I've been fortunate for the last 20 years to be helping school districts and contractors really lower their operating costs. And whether that was with solar, battery storage, or for the last five years, I've been helping schools figure out and develop a plan to convert their fleet to electric. And a lot of that is around choosing the right charging infrastructure. Can we help them get grants and incentives? How do we do the installation? You know, how do they operate and maintain these? Do they finance them? And to me, it's just been a passion. Uh, my wife works for the local school district here in my town, and I, I see every day how they need help in figuring this out. So I'm just really excited and passionate to bring, you know, high people, a lot of people within our organization with, you know, 10, 15 years of experience to help them figure this journey out and make it as easy as possible. That's great. And so how long have you been with in charge? And, and you know, in addition to, you know, what you outlined there, are there other things that you do in terms of your role with InCharge? Yeah, so I've been with InCharge now about a year. I was fortunate enough to do a lot of work with the CEO, Cameron, and our COO, Terry, who were very early pioneers in the EV charging industry. As for my role as the chief commercial officer, a lot of people are like, well, what does that really mean? <laughs> what it means is I am fortunate enough that I get to spend most of my day working with my team and helping electric bus manufacturers, schools, and contractors really develop their electrification plan. And it may seem you know, simple and easy at the higher level, but when you really start getting into the details and how they need to execute this transition, it becomes a lot more complicated. It's still a new and growing industry, and so the whole industry is helping you know, figure out what are some of the challenges, how we mitigate those, and, and how we make this cost effective for contractors and school districts. Yeah, and we've been talking a lot, not only at NSTA, but across the industry about this whole electric school bus ecosystem. And it's interesting, we're, you know, at the NSTA level, we're, we're being introduced to a whole different level of partners within charge being one of them. So I think it'd be helpful, not only for our listeners, but for me as well, for you, Steve, to go over what are the services that InCharge actually offers? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So InCharge is the leading electric vehicle charging infrastructure provider here in North America. We are majority owned by ABB, and I'm very proud to say we're one of the few profitable entities in the EV charging space. Um, and what we're really focused on is working with the bus manufacturers and really folk helping make sure the charging infrastructure works with their vehicles, the software coordinates, and Secondly, we really help work with contractors and schools, like I said, to develop an electrification plan to help them convert to zero emission you know, buses. 
some of the key services that we provide to help in that is one really developing that initial plan, which includes OPEX, CAPEX, you know, uh, initial layouts, designs. And as you start going through that process, you want to make sure that, you know, you're picking the right EV charging hardware. And then secondly, what are the benefits of fleet management software to help or lower their cost to operate that fleet? We provide turnkey installation services. We provide solar and battery storage in cases where it makes sense. We do the operations, maintenance, and services. And lastly, we provide the financing if a district or contractor needs that. Hey, uh, you know, and one more thing that we need in the pupil transportation landscape is, is another acronym. I'm sure my uh, my <laughs> listeners would, would would second that emotion. But so you mentioned OPEC. Why don't you talk a little bit about what that means? I sure can. So if you think about a contractor today, you know they they understand their fuel, the cost of the fuel, the maintenance of those vehicles. Well, when you start getting into electric vehicles, you know your your new fuel is electricity, and electricity can have three different costs during the day and have a component called demand. So it is a very volatile cost estimate that they have to look at. So OPEX is really, what is your total operating cost to manage that fleet? And that includes obviously the service maintenance support and then the new fuel cost, which is electric. That's how we kind of look at the OPEX portion, which is the ongoing portion to operate that fleet over time. Uh, it makes sense, and it's probably similar to what we've been talking about at NSTA when we talk to policymakers about the transition to electric school buses, and that's the cost of total cost of ownership. Uh, we've been, um, you know, kind of phrasing it that way. You know, I think one of the things that's difficult for a lot of our members who are operating school buses is that there's, there's just a lot to consider in this transition. You touched upon it previously, but, you know, one area um, I think that uh, that we'll have to focus on is, is the charging infrastructure. And it, it can't be a situation for our operators just to be able to, you know, fall for the greatest sales pitch on this, because whatever you do has a ripple effect for, for many, many years in terms of selecting some of this infrastructure. So Steve, what can you tell us when folks are looking at infrastructure, specifically charging stations, and the importance of choosing the right charger for their facility? No, and that, it's a great question because unfortunately, I think with about, I'd say 15 to 20% of the school districts I've worked with this year that have already installed charging last year, we've recommended that they rip that out. And it's mainly because of a couple functions, one of which is the charger was too small for the route that they had, or the if they had a mixed fleet, the new vehicles they were getting wouldn't work with those chargers. So when you take a look at the charger, I think there's a lot of things you really need to, to look at and understand in making that decision. First of all, does it actually work with the vehicles? And you may sound like, well, <laughs> why wouldn't it? But unfortunately, there are a number of chargers that either don't have the right voltage for that bus or do not have the software communications to interact with the bus to make it do things it needs to be able to charge. So one of the things I always recommend is whatever charger you pick, make sure it is certified from the manufacturer to work with their vehicle. It's going to save you a lot of pain and hassle down the road. The second is 
what's the right size of the charger? You have really two kinds of chargers. You have the AC charger, which are many people will call kind of slower chargers or dumber chargers. And then you have DC chargers, which are higher powered chargers that will charge the vehicle faster and have some more, I would say, software solutions that enable you to do more with the vehicle and, and lower your cost to charge that. The other things we look at in charging the right uh, or in picking the right EV charging hardware is do you have a single cord or dual cord cords where you can charge two buses and connect them in at one time? We also really want to look at, you know, do we use software or do we have to upgrade the utility to be able to handle the amount of power coming in? How are you going to do service and support of the chargers? And, and, and really make sure you're getting something that, you know, fits your environment. I think one of the biggest things I see is schools initially will just look at an AC charger and say, oh, I'll just pick the cheapest charger and put it in. And unfortunately, without doing really, I think, the, a, a higher level of analysis, they don't understand the impact of that decision. And I'll give you an example. I, I've got a school district here that, that recently just won an EPA grant for two buses. And they asked us, hey, I really think I should just get the cheapest one. I've been awarded $20,000 per charger. I think if I just buy a $3,000, 19.2 kilowatt AC charger, it's going to work perfect and save me some money. Well, when we did the financial analysis for them over a five-year period, it would cost $77,000 to operate that charger with their fleet, and they're roughly doing about 60 miles a day. And so our recommendation was to, to get a dual-cord 30-kilowatt DC fast charger which charges the vehicle in about in, in more than you know, half the time, but their operating cost of that same five-year period was only 49,000. So almost a 50% reduction over a five-year period to reduce you know, what the school district has to spend. And it was interesting because their, their CBO came back and said, well, I'm really just worried about the first year. You know, I can figure out the, the math later. And even in the first year with energy and demand charges and, and some limitations, it was about $9,000 cheaper in that first year to operate the 30 kilowatt DC fast charger versus the AC. So these are some of the things I think you really have to sit down and work with the contractors of the school district to figure out what is the optimal solution for that site, the vehicles, the routes, to make sure that those vehicles are charged um, and ready to go in the morning, but also you're fueling them at the lowest cost possible. So those are, it's a, it's a much longer conversation. But those are <laughs> oh, some yeah, of the highlights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And you bring up a lot of great points in terms of the analysis of, you know, what you're planning to do, you know, versus the capital cost of, you know, what you're proposing to, to buy. All have to enter into the calculus of, of what you're doing. I think that one thing that I know, because I, I do own an electric vehicle, uh, that a lot of folks out there don't recognize is that, you know, like the Tesla port, and, and you see them a lot on the East Coast, you know, at some of the convenience stores, is a different port than I have a Honda. So you can't go in and charge, um, you know, can't go and charge my Honda vehicle at uh, the Quick Check or Wawa on the East Coast. And and so I think of that in terms of the bus manufacturers and ensuring that perhaps our members are considering charging infrastructure that's flexible because they're going to perhaps buy these electric buses from a number of different manufacturers. Is is that a cons, uh, consideration, Steve? 
Yeah, fortunately, the, the bus manufacturers have come together and have standardized on a CCS1 connector for their vehicles. So you don't have the same issue you do with Tesla or some of the other passenger vehicles. But what they've not standardized on is, is the rate in which they can charge. You have some school bus manufacturers that can only charge, let's say, 60 kilowatts at a time, where you have others that are 120 kilowatts. Or some of them will only, uh, you need a charger that will operate at 800 volts, uh, where others are 500 volts. Now, I'm probably getting a little too technical here, but what that means is if you have a mixed fleet, you want to make sure you have a charger that will work with all different manufacturers. You don't have to have a single charger dedicated to one type of bus manufacturer. That's, that's the biggest thing I've seen in working with contractors in school districts. No, it makes uh, complete sense. Now, I'm going to go back to the OPEX discussion, and I, I guess it's important for people to note that, you know, when you're working with your consultants on charging software, th this will assist you in, in lowering your operational costs down the line. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I sure can. And, and this is a new area, I think, for most fleet operators is they don't understand this dynamic and variable pricing for fuel, uh, which is now going to be electric. So one of the key things here is having a fleet management software that helps you not only understand what's happening with the fleet, is everything charging correctly? Many folks use some of the charging information to help understand the efficiency of the driver. We can integrate into different, you know, other uh, tools that a contractor may have. But the biggest one is, is really around when to charge and how do you balance that fleet to charge it at the lowest cost. And so what, a, what, the, what our in-control software platform will do is optimize the charging schedule of the fleet based on utility tariff. And so in many markets they have, I'm, I'm going to ha probably have to give a quick electric bill discussion because many transportation directors and and uh, contractors are like, uh, you just pay for what you get at home, right? And I'm like, no, it's it's really not that it's not that way. On the commercial side, your electric bill is really based on two factors. One of which is the cost of electricity at the time in which you consume it. And so they have different rate schedules based on the time of day, summer, winter, and in some markets it can be you know three to four times more expensive to charge your vehicle between four and nine than it would between let's say midday or after 10 p.m. The other component is demand charges. And a demand charge is the highest 15 minute window that you use electricity in a month. And this is where it can get very expensive where you're in some markets like San Diego, you're paying $42 a kilowatt. So if you put a 30 kilowatt DC fast charger and you're not balancing that load, that could add $1,200 of cost that month just in demand charges to charge one vehicle. So this is where it's really critical to have a software platform that will pick not only when to charge at the lowest rate, but also to minimize the demand charge so that you're not getting those on-peak demand charges or are really increasing the cost to charge that fleet. Um, Hopefully that helps, and uh, I'm not trying to get too technical, but it, it really is a necessity. And in fact, probably what would be a better example is I had one school district that was working with a contractor, and they said, well, we're only getting, you know, one bus, and we're going to put like maybe a 19.2 kilowatt charger in. How, how big of a difference can it really be? 
So I said, great, send me over your electric bill and I'll let you know. And their their current model was just when the driver comes back at four o'clock, they're going to plug it in and start charging. Well, if they did that, it would cost them about $475 to charge that bus one day. And with the load management in control software that we offer, it would cost him $19.56. Mm. So when wow. he saw that, he said, well, that's a no brainer. right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I need fleet software to help me. Yeah. Absolutely. Boy, a lot of great information. I have one last question for you, Steve, and that centers around, because you mentioned it earlier um, at the beginning of the episode, and that was uh, solar, that you guys consult with solar. Now, it would seem to me that over time, if folks really want to, to make their system efficient and effective, that we, we couple some of this or most of it with um you know, some solar power. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's really a mixed question. And there's a couple of things you really have to figure out when looking at solar or battery storage. And first of all, for many contractors, if they don't own that property and it's a short-term, you know, five-year contract, solar really doesn't pay for itself in many markets, you know, somewhere in the 10-year mark. So it's very specific on the electric utility rates, the amount of sunshine it gets, and whether it's cost-effective. In many cases, though, in markets like California, New Jersey, New York, you can finance solar below your current cost of electricity on a 20 or 25-year basis. So that's one factor you want to look at is making sure, you know, am I going to be there? Do I own the property? Do I have confidence that, that this will be something for 20 years that will be viable? I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges. But as many of these fleet operators start to convert a much larger portion of their fleet to electric, they're going to need a way to deal with backup power. And if the grid goes down, how do they power the vehicles? And whether that's with solar, battery storage, electric, I mean, diesel and gas gensets, that's going to be something they're going to have to add to their mix to make sure they can operate that fleet. Makes a whole lot of sense, Steve. A lot of great information on this uh, podcast. If folks want to learn more about InCharge, where can they go to find that information? Yeah, I think the best way to reach us is you can always go to www.inchargeus.com. We are on LinkedIn. Or if you'd like to, you can reach out to me directly at stephen.kelly at inchargeus.com. In fact, one of the things that, uh, or at NSTA, we attend your events and we will see you there. And one thing that I forgot to mention kind of on, on the infrastructure is flexibility. And I think this is actually a really key point for contractors in that short term, five year, you know, if they have a, a contract for only five years, is they need a charging infrastructure that they can move, that they can move to different properties, they can change configurations of. So one of the things we've worked with a number of contractors on is really designs that allow you to move or change the configuration quickly. So if you're familiar with kind of the K-rail or a Jersey barrier, you'll see on, on these, those concrete kind of almost triangle-shaped things you'll see on the side of the road, is build those that we can mount the EV charging chargers on and move them around very quickly and easily. We also have a trenchless system that I think is really key. So you don't have to disrupt the either the school lot you're leasing or, or a third-party location. We also offer portable power solutions and, and a grid on a skid, which is where we can put battery storage in and charge at a lower rate and not have some of the high cost of utility upgrades. So I apologize to bring that in late, but I know that's one of the main questions I get from contractors is, 
I have a short-term lease. What's your solution to help me so I'm not spending a huge amount of money on something that may go away in a few years? Right. Yeah, no, good point. And yeah, Steve mentioned, did present at our fall conference. There'll be another electric school bus session at our midwinter meeting coming up in January. So Steve, a lot of great information. And as you've kind of uh, spelled out over the course of this podcast, you know, this is a, a long-term kind of project for all of us. So the more that we talk about a lot of these details, the, the, the more conversant they think the whole industry is going to be in. And, and of course, uh, the more kind of operational experience we have in this space, the more beneficial is going to be because I, I guess, you know, to your point, a lot of these things, you know, we're going through a little bit of a trial and error process right now. Is that the way you see it too? It is. And I think that's really the key here is is having live operating data. I think, you know, and we, we just had a ribbon cutting last week for 40 electric buses here at Marino Valley Unified School District. Getting that information, helping contractors, you know, really sitting down with them and figuring out a solution that, that fits their needs is key. So we're all learning, we're all growing and sharing that information and venues like this, I think, are key in helping the whole industry move forward. Yep. Let's just keep the conversation going. Once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop, Steve Kelly, Chief Commercial Officer in charge. There are new NSTA vendor partner members, so seek them out, whether it's at our live meeting or individually, you know, with his company. But Steve, thanks so much for taking a few minutes out of your schedule and talking us through a lot of these individual situations with regard to the electric school bus and its deployment around the United States. Definitely. Thanks for the opportunity and looking forward to seeing you in San Diego. Thank you for listening to this episode of NSTA The Bus Stop. Just a reminder that NSTA's midwinter meeting is right around the corner, and it's being held from January 22nd through the 24th, 2023 at the U.S. Grant Hotel in beautiful San Diego, California. Don't miss out. The NSTA room block is open, but only until December 20th, and there are plenty of great sponsorship packages available. Contact NSTA headquarters at info at yellowbuses.org for more detail or register for the event at www.yellowbuses.org. An event link is conveniently found at the top of the homepage. Thanks for listening to NSTA The Bus Stop and have a great day.